Well, good to be with you again tonight. We'll continue where we have already begun earlier today in looking at this wonderful theme of uh, revival in families and in marriages and in our community relationships. And I would like to go to Ephesians chapter 5 once again. Our brother took us there earlier this morning. And the Lord had put that on my heart prior to that. And uh, because I think here we have the instruction that so clearly gives responsibilities and roles. See, our Lord has different functions, different roles and responsibilities for different groups of people. And we do well, of course, to yield to him. It's his universe. And as we were examining and praying about earlier today, there's no question about the fact that marriage as an institution is under assault in our day. The men of Naphtali knew the times and they made their decisions accordingly. And and we would be naive to think that we could just ignore this. I know some say, well, that that has been a, a problem since time began. Well, not really, not in the same degree. Uh, I haven't, in, in the studies of history I've looked at since the Reformation, uh, I haven't seen it to the degree we're seeing now. Now, I know we could ultimately go back to the days of Noah. <laughs> Genesis 6 certainly talked about the assault on marriage during that time, and that's what brought the flood, at least partly. And our Lord Jesus told us, you recall, before he left, that when, his, when he comes back, it's going to be again like the days of Noah. So we put these things together. We observe what's going on. And I trust if we're disciples of our Lord, we want to honor him and not the world system and the direction the world is going. It, we, we want to adapt and adjust in a way of sharing the gospel, but we don't want to imitate the world system. And it's creeping in, beloved. The statistics all show that. And so we need to be aware of it. Uh, the whole issue of marriage is being completely redefined. And it could very well come. I was told a few weeks ago that five Walmarts in northern Texas were taken over by the federal government and the employees were all excused in one day and nobody knows the governor of the state doesn't know why they were taken over and what they're going to be used for but they can house a lot of people and so these are the kind of things we're told that if we stand for the truth of the gospel and for the biblical definition of marriage that that might be defined as hate speech and the attorney, attorney general is looking into these things. So this is the day we're living in, see. And it'll be a challenge for many of us if will we stand for the truth or will we waver in order to save our skin or maintain some level of freedom in this world. So it's good for us to be clear about this, isn't it? And it's good to pray for revival in an area like this, because if the trend continues and revival doesn't at least slow down the trend, we, we know where it might go. And we should be alert to that. 
Our Lord has placed us as salt and light that we might glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 5.16, right? They might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 5, we have this instruction from the Apostle Paul. He has built off the word walk since the beginning of chapter 4, hasn't he? Actually, he uses it even in chapter 2. And it's an interesting word, and we'll look at that more as we get into Galatians 5 in the future. But he begins in chapter 4, verse 1, that you walk worthy of the calling. There's a worthiness to the calling. And we're to walk that way. Walk means our whole life, our whole decision-making, daily decisions, our whole testimony, individually and corporately, right? And then he says in chapter 4, in verse 17, that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he'll move into walking in the new man, as we see down in verse 24, putting on the new man. And that has certain characteristics with it. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, we need to walk in love. And that has characteristics assigned to it. And then in chapter 5, Verse 8, we're to walk as children of light in a dark world. And that seems to be more in the sense of moral issues that he brings up there. And then in verse 15, we're to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. The Bible has a lot to say about wisdom, doesn't it? That we're to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Why? Because of the times, redeeming the time, because the days are evil, even in his day. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof in his day. So we're to walk in wisdom. Well, what does that look like? How does that work out? Well, he, he builds that out of the idea of being filled with the Spirit in verse 18. And you'll move into core building blocks of any society. That filling with the Spirit, then he will work out in terms of wives in verse 22, in verse of husbands in verse 25, in in way of children in chapter 6, verse 1, in the way of servants in verse 5 of chapter 6, and then masters in chapter 9. Five categories of society, and I think representative of all of society. Every other category would be subcategories of these five. Almost seems too simple, doesn't it? <laughs> but he tells us, don't be drunk with wine, because that brings dissipation. And in his day, drunkenness, especially even in the religious festivals of Ephesus, they used drunkenness and orgies. We know about that as part of their religion in the pagan world of that day. And they came under the influence. When he talks about pharmakeia, we get our word pharmacy from it, where they use drugs too, hallucinogenic drugs in their religion, in the rituals of their religion. And we read about that in other Portions, But here he says, don't be like that, but rather be continuously being filled with the spirit. 
So it's in the present continuous tense. We never get filled with it. It's not like, like Brother Billy said, it's not like a cup that we, you know, you, you know, I'm going to get filled with the Spirit and eventually I'll get to the top and then I can coast, man. I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit so I can put it in neutral and just coast. No, it's not. That's not what it means. Else it wouldn't be in continuous present tense, would it? It's more like a pipe. You put water in this side of the pipe and it goes out that side, right? And if you want water to go out of the pipe, it'll only go out if it goes in, right? That's the way it works. That's the way hydraulics works. So to be filled with the Spirit is to allow the Spirit to fill us and work through us to others, to the blessing of others. And if we want to see that blessing going out, we've got to have filling coming in from Him, see? So there's a participation here between us and the Lord in this. And and then someone says, well, filled with the spirit. Is that like, you know, I mean, the spirit, that's a ghost. I mean, is that like something ethereal? What? How do you get filled with the spirit? Well, he defines it for us right here in the book in the next chapter, doesn't he? In chapter six, verse 17, he tells us about the spirit and the sword of the spirit there. And there he defines the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is. The word of God. So to be filled with the spirit is to be filled with the word of God. See, Well, that's consistent with what we see in the Old Testament in Psalm 19 and 119 and Psalm 1. A brother looked at earlier. And it's what we see in Colossians 316, the, the parallel to this particular verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ, the word of God. Being filled with the word of God is being filled with the spirit of God, because the spirit is the author and the energizer of the word of God. Amen. Amen. And then he works that out in four participles. Now, a participle, you might remember from your eighth grade literature and, and grammar class, because I didn't get any grammar after eighth grade. But a participle is, is a verb with ing on the end of it, right? So it, these are continuous part of, these are verbs with, they're in the continuous sense. Notice in verse 19, speaking. See, that's a verb with ing on it. And in verse 19, singing. And making melody. Those go together. That's the second one. The third one in verse 20, giving thanks. And the fourth one, submitting. Okay? So he defines for us there what, when we're filled with the Spirit, what it looks like. And I must say, brethren, we, there is a lack here. (laughs) I think we have to admit. In our corporate gatherings or in our home life, do we do this? Do we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? That almost sounds revolutionary. (laughs) It shouldn't. Speaking to and notice he puts the order, he puts psalms first. Now, we read in the early days of the church that the hymnal they used was the Psalter. <laughs> they put, of course, we don't have the tunes in the psalm book, and so they added the tunes according to tunes that they knew and liked, but they sang the psalms. In their, that's all they sang 
in the early church, we find in the first couple of hundred years. And there was a return to that under Calvin in Geneva and other places during the Reformation. And there are still some Reformational churches that do that. They figure, well, we want to memorize the word of God. What better to do than sing the Psalms? <laughs> that helps us memorize the word of God in Fulfill this verse of being filled with the Spirit. But the Bible doesn't just limit it to the Psalms, does it? Because there are good hymns and there are spiritual songs. So if we want to think about what we're listening to and songs that we like, we should ask ourselves, are they spiritual songs? <laughs> if they're not spiritual songs, we shouldn't be having anything to do with them. Because that's the way for the world to encroach on our thinking. He's talking about our thinking here. Because speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs affects our whole thinking and attitude. And that's part of being filled with the word of God that he says is the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, But then he says, now that is something toward one another, right? Speaking to one another. But then the second one has more to do internally between our own relationship with the Lord. He says, singing and making melody in your heart to whom? To the Lord. The first one was to one another, but this one's to the Lord, see. And it's in your heart. Now, I've known some brethren that, you know, they bounce around the chapel or bounce around the house and they're singing hymns because they've got a good memory for songs. And, you know, they just, you know, going about and and they think sometimes now I hope their heart is genuine here, but they may be putting on an air of spirituality that's not real. We had a brother that did that in another place. I won't say where. And he ended up having an enormous failure in his life. And all this, I remember thinking he would be bouncing around singing psalms out of the, you know, he was out of the little flock and these, these old hymn books. It was all a fake. So he's not saying to do this publicly to try to make people think you're spiritual. Because he says to do it in your heart. To whom? To the Lord. But it is a great way to maintain our focus on the Lord while you're driving in Miami traffic or, or while you're in the store shopping. It, and it will give you joy if you're thinking about things of the Lord now. If you're singing songs of the world. Some of us grew up in the hippie area and in the era of rock and roll, as they called it, and all of that. And and it's hard. I mean, brother and I talk about it. It's hard to get those songs out of there. And then every restaurant I go to, they're playing that stuff because they want to get to the boomers. The boomers are the ones right now that have the money, I guess, and spending at the restaurants. And so that's what they're playing in there. And it's it's hard for me to sometimes stay in the restaurant if I'm visiting with a brother or sister in Christ and listen to that, but uh, you know, I just have to pray. I'm praying the whole time. The brother or sister's talking, and I'm praying silently. Lord, you know, cleanse my mind. But this is a great antidote to that, isn't it? What we sometimes call in discipleship positive displacement. You know, Bob, we we talk about positive displacement in engines and cars, and we know what that means. But there's a positive displacement in our thinking, too. That's part of the Christian life to not just in a negative way, try to take things out the old life. We want to set it aside. We talk about that. But one of the ways to do it is to positively displace the evil with the good. The good will push it out if we keep our focus on it. 
There is victory in the Lord. See, he's told us how to do it. So again, it's on us. Are we willing to do it? Are we willing? And, and believe me, it'll, it'll lift your spirit because I've tried it. And I know, brethren, and you do too. And maybe some of you are doing this. And then, oh, this third one. <laughs> we don't do this one either. I mean, do you give thanks when maybe something tragic happens in your life or in the life of someone else? Giving thanks Sometimes for some things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? Nobody's correcting me. Maybe your Bible say that. Oh, okay, good. One brother over there realized it says for all things in all ways. He says the same thing in 1 Thess 5.16, doesn't he? Ceaselessly giving thanks. This will cleanse us. <laughs> this will enable us. To give thanks for all things. Because when we complain and whine and murmur like the children of Israel in the wilderness, and the Lord says he wasn't pleased with that in Numbers 11 and different places. He says, I'm not pleased when y'all do that. Because it makes it look like I'm not in control. Right? Makes it look like I checked out and I'm going to get a hamburger and something happened in your life and I wasn't there to... And that's not the case. He's in full control. This is hard. When it's difficult matters that we're going through to give thanks, look for something to give thanks about in every situation and circumstance. It's not that hard, but it does take some energy, some focus, a mental attitude to want to do this. And it's part of what's being filled with the spirit. And then the the fourth one. So far, how are we doing Have we gotten one out of three? (laughs) Well, the fourth one's not any easier than the other three. Submitting to one another. And in what, what kind of attitude? In the fear of God. Now you're bringing God into this submission thing. But we realize before he gets to... Now I know... Some men in our society, I don't think men in this room, but some men in our society want to get to verse 22 and say, yeah, no, no, no. The submission's about the wise brother. They want to skip verse 21. But before we get to verse 22 and get into, as Coach Tribig used to call, Pacifics, he was from Palacios. So he, instead of saying specifics, he'd call it Pacifics. And, and before we get into specifics of the various relationships and how we work this out, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We are all to be in an attitude of submission to one another. Wow. And that's part of being filled with the Spirit. Do you want to be filled with the Spirit now? After reading this list? Are you still praying for that? I hope so. Because this is real Christianity he's just defined here. This is the real thing. The sham's gone. The mask is gone. This is the real thing. I want this. I want this. I lived the religious stuff before I was saved. And it was empty, vain, useless, nothing. No peace, no joy, no love, competition, 
self-exaltation, selfish ambition, self-promotion, all that stuff. (laughs) It's all wood, hay, and stubble. (laughs) Let's set it aside, beloved. Let's choose to walk in the Spirit in, in these four areas that help define it. So he works it out. Now, I know he starts with wives, but I'm going to start with the husbands. I did that one time, and some men told me they were about to throw me out of the building because I just got, got down to it. But brother got down to it this afternoon, and I appreciate that the buck stops here, right, brother? We can't abdicate our responsibility, man. Even if you think you can abdicate here on earth, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, then you will not be able to abdicate. He is going to hold men responsible. And the sisters maybe made mistakes, but if the husbands didn't intervene, the husbands are going to be held accountable. We see that in the law even. Yeah. Ouch. So he says to the husbands, he says, love your wives just as, oh, he already already makes it impossible. Apart from the Holy Spirit. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So what's the first thing he tells husbands to do? Be willing to give your life for your wife. Wow. That's important in marriage counseling, isn't it? Be willing to give your wife, give your life for your wife. And be willing to present her as a glorious wife, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. In other words, beloved brothers, we're responsible for their sanctification too. You got your sanctification you're responsible for, but now you're responsible for her sanctification too. Did you know that? Did they tell you that in marriage counseling? This is a privilege, but you can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit, see. And you can sit there and, and grimace at me all you want to, but you're, the Lord Jesus is the one you're going to face on this. It's not me. I'm just giving you his word. This is the king talking here. Not this king, that king. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Well, that one we understand. The narcissism has come back into our language in a strong way, hasn't it? I don't think any of the men in this room are narcissists, but we know what that means. We know that men like to make sure that they're looking nice and take care of themselves. But do they take care of their spouses the same way, see? Do they think of ways to encourage her that way? Wow, I don't hear this talked about much, so I wonder. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does his church. So what is the husband to do then? He's to nourish. Nourish her with what? Primarily the word of God. 
See, what did Adam do in the Garden of Eden? When we read Genesis chapter 2, the command not to eat from the tree was specifically given by the Lord to Adam. We don't know. It doesn't say in the text that Eve was there. We don't know whether Eve knew that. We knew she had some semblance of it. But when she answers the serpent in chapter 3, she seems to be confused about it. And who was the one who's supposed to instruct her? Her husband, Adam. So there seems to be a lack there because she's confused in her answer. You remember she adds, you shouldn't even touch the tree. You know, she's expanded it. And misrepresents the Lord in that. But he's not there to protect her either when she eats from it and she gives it to him. Does he say, whoa, wait a minute. What? He says, uh, hey, I'm going to be a passive male. You bring me the apple, I'm going to get from it too. And then, of course, the consequences fall after he takes. Right? So while Adam maybe thought he could abdicate God didn't let him abdicate. And I think without reading into the text, I think there is a neglect there. Can I use that word at least on the part of Adam toward Eve? And he sure throws her under the bus when he's confronted about it. You wonder how she could ever have stayed with him again after what he says. He says the same thing to God. He says, it's your fault. Not only her fault, it's it's your fault, God. You gave her to me. You ever thought that when things don't go right? You know? No. That's wrong thinking, see? That's unbiblical thinking. So God says he's going to hold the man accountable. He is to be the leader of the house. He is not to neglect his duty as protector. I like to think of it as this way. He's to think of new ways to put her in a position of nurturing and cherishing. Make it, a, make it fun, brothers. I've heard some brothers talk about how they get excited about Friday night's coming or Saturday night's coming. And yeah, I decided I'm going to do this. I want, I'm going to go to the flower store. The flowers are going to arrive this time. Then I'm going to do this. We're going to pick her up and I'm going to take her out to eat. I'm going to do this and, and then bring her home. And then I'm going to make sure she gets to bed comfortably. And I'm going to do There's some planning involved. There's some thought. But you can make that fun, you know. It doesn't have to be a drudgery. The world will tell you that's a drudgery. Go out with the guys and drink beer and play cards. But that's no fun. That's just a false idea. Remember reading about the story. A certain man that he had had rough times in his life before he was saved. And the woman that... He, the Lord brought in, he got saved and prayed for a wife. And the, it took some years, but the Lord brought a woman into his life and she'd had a rough background. But he made a decision that when he was going to propose to her, he was going to do it while he was washing her feet. Now, I like that. that's thinking outside the box. Now, I decided if I ever get a chance, I'd like that would be fun to do. And she was just. She was just shocked, you know. Here he, she takes you. What are you doing? She wasn't. She was fighting him, and he took the shoe off. And he, what are you doing? And he brought the water in, and he, 
And then after he washed her feet, he said, now, and, and of course, she's already sobbing in tears. Of course, I'll marry you. I mean, brothers, you got to learn how God wired the sisters. I heard a sister tell me years ago, you know, if men could just figure out that for this little bit of interest in us, we give 10 or 100 times more. And I've seen that happen. The sisters are so giving that way. You don't have to do much to get a whole lot back. But pride keeps men from doing it. And selfishness. Let's just confess it, right? And, of course, the great verse in Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One sister pointed out to me, it doesn't, that command is to the man. It doesn't say the woman has to leave father and mother, does it? It's interesting. Apparently the male has a tendency to cling to mama. Right? And he's got to... Leave and cleave, invest all himself and his energies in his wife because they've become one flesh before God. See, I never hear this talked about, even amongst born agains. This is important, isn't it? It's real. And then, with regard to the if your plate isn't already full. He adds, with regard to children, in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. It's interesting The women don't have to be commanded not to do that either. Because they just aren't wired that way. The men are. And to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So they're responsible for their own sanctification. They have a limited, at least, responsibility for their wife's sanctification. And now they're responsible for the sanctification of their children. Now, how's a husband going to do that that's not in the Word of God himself? I haven't figured that out yet. It's a big load, isn't it? But this is what God is going to hold every husband accountable for, the judgment seat of Christ. Whether you like it or not. It's time to change. If there's some areas we need to tweak and change. Amen? And you sisters don't mind. You wouldn't mind that. And the wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 22, it's interesting. Submit, and he adds, to your own. So your submission is to your own husband, not to some other man in the meeting or other. In this kind of submission, it's particularly in, you know, it's again that headship situation he talks about in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. That the husband is head over the wife, not because he's smarter, not because he's we're talking about roles and responsibilities here. And he uses Christ and God, the father, as the example. The Lord Jesus is co-equal with the father. Does anybody dispute that in this room? And husband and and men and women are co-equal, too, in that regard. But we have different. You're going to have to have roles and responsibilities. And that's the way the Lord's instituted it. And I think it's partly to humble the sisters because they usually had the better idea on things and, and they have to wait for the man to come along and get it. You know? And we certainly see in the history, look, just look at your hymnal, how many hymns are written by women. The devotion they have for the Lord. We see that in the Gospels. How they pour their hearts out. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so the wives to their own husbands in most things, it says, in everything. This is how it works. And so let your husband exercise authority. Sometimes those sisters have to be restrained and quiet themselves, even though they see he's determined to go a certain way and they have a bad feeling about that way. That's hard for you, sisters, but look to the Lord. That's where prayer comes in. Ask the Lord to change his heart if you're pretty well convinced he's getting out of the will of the Lord. And the Lord can do that. He can answer that prayer, right? But that's where trust in the Lord comes in. So here, a help meet we talked about earlier today, appropriate to his particular calling. Hopefully, both of you are walking together in your calling and ministry for the Lord. If not, that's going to be hard. Not impossible, because nothing's impossible with God, but it's going to be hard. I heard one Bible teacher, pastor, say years ago, he said, there are a lot of people out there that married the wrong person. He found in pastoral ministry and counseling. They just jumped at it and married the wrong person. That doesn't mean they can divorce. (laughs) They've got to stay at it. But for those who are not married yet, you need to be in prayer about this. You're talking about your whole life ahead of you. And for those of you who are parents and you've got children, be in prayer for them. It just isn't just because the brother or sister grew up together in the same assembly or went to the same camp. That doesn't mean that they had the same calling necessarily in ministry to work together and walk together. Tommy Nelson put it this way one time in a marriage seminar that you should be. It's like two running in a track. He was a football player, right? So he's going to use a track analogy Two running in a track. And you want somebody going at the same pace. You want somebody that's going way ahead of you and you're lagging behind it or or the other way around. You want someone that's going the same pace where you're going. So you're going to work together. And it's about ministry, isn't it? I mean, that's what we should be about when we're thinking about marriage. Who is going to work with who am I going to enable her to be better in her ministry? And she's going to enable me to be better in mine. That's the one the partner the Lord would have for me. See, that's how we should think. And then with regard to children and strong admonition here, um, Proverbs 29, verse one, our brother quoted this to me a month ago. But he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Now, you may have known people that have suffered. I've known people that have suffered When the destruction happens, it's sudden and without remedy. Well, it's often rebuked, not just rebuked a few times. And we're talking about someone who's at the age of accountability, too, of course, not a young child. But this is serious. When he says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's what he means. You do well to obey them. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. What promise? Long life. You see why Proverbs 29.1 ties in well with that? 
So that's a serious thing, too. And sometimes you just think that your parents don't understand and don't get it. Or are you supposed to submit to them and obey them only when you agree with them? No, that's not what it says. Even when you don't agree with them. And you do that by the grace and power of God. I was going to say something quickly. I'll just make note of it in 1 Timothy 2.15. The sisters sometimes feel like they're neglected in ministry. And I believe what the Apostle Paul is saying there. He's talking about ministry and the males are in the leadership. And that the woman is not supposed to be teaching and leading over men and so forth in the assembly. And it's almost as if the sisters said, was there anything for us? And he says, yes. He says that, that you will be saved through childbearing. What does he mean? I think he means there that the sisters, that their ministry is a unique ministry that he made them for. And that you could define that as child rearing. He has the definite article in front of it. The childbearing, the childbearing, which would include the birth of the child all the way up to. Probably 11, 12, 13 years old. The men in youth group don't get influence on the children until they're almost a teenager usually, right? Who's responsible for them in the first 10 years, we'll say, of their life? Primarily. The sisters. (laughs) And we know psychologically that their personalities are all formed by then. And sometimes their whole life career is defined by the time they're 10 years old. And who's the one that built into that? You sisters, in other words, God has given you the training up of the next generation. Now, is that not a privilege? In fact, you could argue that the up and down of the history of the church is going to follow how loyal the sisters are to training up the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Did you teach them Bible verses? Did you bring them? Under the sound of the word, did you encourage them to meet with Christians? All those kinds of things. If, if you wait till they're 12, 13, 14, right? Billy and I were talking. You wait till then. You ain't going to change them then. <laughs> it's all set then. It's going to be friction all the way through until they get out of the house. And they can't wait. And then they're going to find a hard road. So the Lord has given something for the sisters. He's given you a very important Privileged position. And then lastly, I just want to say something about because the other day we're living in too, but it would be true in any day for singles and for single parent homes, which increasingly are going to be true in our churches. We have, a, have to have a ministry to them too. They need to be included. And they say, well, is there anything for me? Well, Sure. If you're single and you're a sister, you can be involved in in the work with the children. You may not have children of your own. There may be couples that can't have children of their own. Can they? Is there no ministry for them? Sure, there's ministry. There's vacation Bible school. There's Sunday school. There's the nursery. There's all kinds of ways they can be involved in this whole process. And they shouldn't be eliminated. Amen? They shouldn't be neglected just because they made Mistakes. We all have made mistakes. We all need his grace. And then there's some, as Brother McDonald said, or or married to the word. You know, they made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom. I met by Brother Dale Gleason 
uh, up in Nebraska, was one of five men that were bachelors to the rapture. And I, I saw him about 10 years ago. And I said, brother, you didn't make it, did you? He said, no, none of the five of us did. We're all married. And his wife was standing there. She started laughing. She said, let me, I got a girl over here I want to introduce. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe I'll make it, bachelor to the rapture. But, but either way, the Lord has a role and a purpose for each one. We want to include everybody in the ministry, the privilege of it. So let's pray for revival in these areas. There's so much to pray about. Amen. And uh, we thank the Lord for it.